This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered as investment advice. Having a flexible, open attitude to really women and diverse needs across the board. So, you know, really having the conversation about how is this going to work for us together? And as long as the plan is reasonable, implementing it. Welcome to the Biotech Pulse, our Forbian podcast. Forbian is a leading life sciences venture capital firm founded in the Netherlands, helping companies bridge research and development through our team's expertise in drug development and company building. For over 15 years, we've invested in over 100 companies, backing exciting therapies that we believe have the potential to impact the future of medicine. The Biotech Pulse is a forum where we speak about all things biotech with diverse stakeholders in the life sciences industry. Welcome today to the Biotech Pulse, a Forbion podcast. My name is Geert-Jan Mulder and I'm a managing partner and founder of Forbion, which we founded almost two decades ago. I've led many investments and exits over the years, uh, but one of the most recent ones was related to uh, a success story called Candy Therapeutics. It's a company dedicated to non-hormonal treatment for the frequent symptoms of menopause. And at Forbion, we had seen this as a great opportunity when we first invested in Candy back in the spring of 2017 and finally resulted into a successful exit when the company was sold in the summer of 2020 to Bayer. Today, we are speaking with a special guest, Mary Kerr, who co-founded Candy Therapeutics and is now the CEO of Neri Therapeutics, from which Candy was spun out in, in 2017. So welcome, Mary, and I'm really happy that you could make the time available for us and join the, the biotech polls and sharing your exceptional experience in the field of women uh, who are leaders in the, in the biotech arena, as well as women's health. Hi, Gert Jan. It's always a pleasure to see you again and great to be here and on this International Day of Women and Girls in Science, you know, to really talk about women leadership in biotech and also the unmet need in women's health. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. So before we go into our discussion, um, I wanted to share with our audience uh, your sterling uh, career. Uh, for those who do not know, my uh, Mary is a true pioneer in the field of women's health. Um, we are really delighted that you're joining the Biotech Pulse today. And maybe before we go into topic, uh, as you already mentioned, I want to take a moment to kick off our discussion you know, because of on February 11th, uh, it marks an important day, which is the International Day of Women and Girls in Science. And for all of our female scientists and entrepreneurs listening to this podcast, uh, you've held several important leadership roles in both big pharma as well as in biotech and understand both worlds very well. So could you please tell us about your professional journey? What inspired you uh, to choose this career? And give a couple of examples of, you know, the challenges uh, that you faced and how uh, you address these challenges. I mean, I started like many women leaders in science. Um, I did a PhD in pharmacology and um, I went on. I decided at that time that while I loved the content and the science, I wasn't really a vocational bench scientist. So I opted to move at the time what academics thought of was to the dark side to go to pharma so I started what became a very long and fulfilling career at GSK um, and heritage companies, and I spent over 20 years there. Yeah, and, and in short, the journey was I started as a sales rep, and actually, by the way, that was very useful experience later on as a CEO. 
uh, and move through marketing, operational, um, global, strategic roles. Um, so, you know, it was a great opportunity to learn about a lot of different parts of the pharma business. But probably the last two roles that I did at GSK and an associated company were the most important for my move into biotech. So I was on the startup executive team at Vive Healthcare, when, which is a company dedicated to HIV. My final role at GSK was a senior vice president and global franchise leader for the immunoinflammation and infectious diseases business. So really, you know, um, that long and very fulfilling uh, and full career, I think, provided a super platform for me to move into biotech. And as you know, Gert Jan, because we met then uh, when I was leaving GSK and starting as CEO of Nary. And since then, I've been in biotech, as you've described earlier. So it's it's very interesting to see that we see more and more uh, women uh, taking executive roles uh, in in biotech companies, being on boards of biotech companies, and specifically also in the in the Forbium portfolio, we have quite a number of you know real success stories. Um, but you know, still um, there's room for improvement. So based upon your experience, could you elaborate in in how in the VC world we we should focus on you know further support of you know successful women in biotech? Yeah, well, that's a really great question. Um, you know, I think, uh, honestly, Gerchan, I think it starts with the individual. You know, it's very easy to point and look at other things and say, that doesn't work for me because of X. You know, for me, it was very much a personal mission that I personally wanted to be successful. And I, um, you know, was lucky enough to have a partner who allowed me to do that not allowed me, supported me to do that. So I think VCs um, are really important in encouraging and opening the doors and providing the environment for women. But actually, it all starts with the individual. You know, so there's a few things in there. It's, you know, it's the home life, the partner you have. It's if you're a parent managing your children. And then in the VC, I think, you know, having a very, as in any employer, having a flexible, open attitude to really women and and diverse needs across the board. So, you know, really having the conversation about how is this going to work for us together? And as long as the plan is reasonable, implementing it. So, Mary, that was great uh, advice. Um, that, that made me thinking about, um, you know, you are um, a successful CEO of Nary Therapeutics um, and uh, in the past Candy Therapeutics, and there will be many more companies to come as a serial entrepreneur going forward. Could you um, give a little bit of um, perspective on, on what experience you actually took from pharma into building a successful biotech company? And, you know, who were your, you know, your examples or, or people that um, have made an impact on on your career choices? I have really got you and drawn on the pharma experience. And just by by the way, you know, when I'm mentoring uh, young women, I always say to them, going to big pharma is a really fabulous place to start your career for all the reasons that I experienced. So, you know, in big pharma, there are resources to support um, people through their career as they build their career, as they build, you know, their insights, the maturity, their expertise, their skill base, you know, their exposure to different territories, to different countries. And it's, you know, it's a unique place to get that experience. So I definitely encourage, um, you know, people to spend some time in big pharma. I mean, for me, really, um, I had a fantastic vantage point 
in the last few jobs that I did at GSK, which were, you know, senior leadership jobs. So, you know, as an executive um, head of Europe on the Vive healthcare team and as the global franchise leader, I had a real vantage point across an entire organization, you know, not necessarily an expert in all of it, but I really could see what was happening all the way from early discovery, right, right the way through to medicine that's been in the hands of patients. And, you know, when you get that experience, you understand what is required um, at, at, you know, across the board to make things happen. And so when I came to biotech as a CEO, you know, I was very much thinking about the end game. How do we get this medicine through the clinic, through the regulator, through the payer, into the hand of the patient? Which is quite frankly why, uh, you know, it was clear to me with Candy that we needed to have a big pharma buyer because big pharma has the resources to do what has to be done with a medicine like candy, which needs to get the, the candy compound, which needs to get to many patients. And I mean, obviously, I'm very supported in the work I do in Nere and historically in candy because I've got a terrific team. You know the team. You know, we work together very closely with you and the other investors, and you know that each of them individually is an expert. And so in the space that they're in, whether it's clinical, manufacturing, discovery, and preclinical, and so when we all come together as a holistic set of leaders, we have a very diverse knowledge base and experience base but together we can piece together a jigsaw that increases the probability of success of a medicine getting to market. Um, and then actually, you know, you're asking me who inspires me, you know, um, many, many people throughout my career. And, you know, obviously it's really interesting. I never worked for a woman in my whole life, which says something about the historic state of women in leadership. And obviously that's changed a lot now. So the people who inspired me, who mentored me, who gave me my career breaks were all men. And I want to, I don't want to name them here, but, you know, there's a lot of them to thank. And equally, you know, you know, the team I work with, they're all fantastic experts in their own right, and they're inspiring. And without them, you know, I could not have achieved what I and we have collectively achieved together. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's been a very humbling experience, but definitely one where I've drawn very heavily on the pharma base. I couldn't agree more. And, um, uh, you know, having worked with you for several years now, um, you know, the, the dedication of you and, and, and your team has always been a great example uh, for how to run a very well-organized tight ship uh, and be successful in biotech. Uh, it's really been, been impressive what you have been able to pull off with, with a very kind of limited team running, you know, late-stage clinical um, development. It also, you know, makes me think back on my own career and what you mentioned, you know, the background uh, that we both have in Big Pharma uh, is, you know, provides a framework. Uh, it provides a sp perspective uh, that is, um, you know, like you always focused on the end game, you know, where uh, do we prove this product is differentiating uh, to others? How does that translate in true value for, for patients? Uh, and 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 serving you know true unmet medical needs, um, and that gets me close to you know discussing you know the you already brought up uh, candy therapeutics, 
as you know, a great example of one of the first biotech companies pioneering in the field of women's health. Um, there are very little um, companies active in this field. It's it's slightly increasing, but when I started in venture, there was hardly any activity in women's health, uh, and and not in big pharma, not in um, in biotech. But I would like to take a little bit of time of speaking about the areas in women's health that are continue to be underserved. And uh, specifically focus uh, a little bit on on indications like uh, endometriosis um, that uh, affects about ten percent of all women worldwide. Um, and you know that is, uh, if you add that up, that is about one hundred and eighty million women on the on the globe. Um, indications like uh, PCOS uh, that it f- affects about uh, six to twelve percent of all women uh, at reproductive age, uh, for you know reducing their chances of pregnancy substantially. And then the other part, which is also not to be underestimated and closer to, uh, you know, the you know uh, age that relates to, by the age of the relates to the menopause, is fibroids, where a, a large percent of the women uh, over fifty uh, would actually, you know, have symptoms related to fibroids at any point in time in their life. So, so those are still areas where there is an enormous. Um, lack of of interest by the large pharmaceutical industries so so could you elaborate a little bit on on where do you think you know the biggest opportunities are um you know bringing new innovative treatments forward and to make a difference uh, in women's health of course also taking into consideration this is the forbion biotech pulse uh also driving you know success in in the um uh, in, in on, a, on a, a commercial basis I mean, it's it's almost shocking the level of unmet need and um, the years of chronic underinvestment over many many decades has really taken its toll across all areas of women's health. Um, you know, and it's been interesting to see that recent McKinsey publication that really shining a light on uh, the impact of underfunding and underinvestment and the results, you know, the impact that it's had. You know, we all know, for example, you mentioned endometriosis, you mentioned polycystic ovary and fibroids. You know, women with endometriosis, and they are large populations of young women in childbearing age. And yeah, fibroids tends to be associated with slightly old population. But, you know, these women are suffering for you know, years up to, you know, eight years before they get a diagnosis, they're misdiagnosed, you know, they go from pillar to post uh, and with no satisfaction. And by the time they're finally diagnosed, often the only option they have is surgical, you know, and we always say if if someone else would go in and say, because we misdiagnosed you or we didn't diagnose you early, you know, have to get a cut out. Well, it just wouldn't be acceptable. Um, you know, the great thing is that there's a lot of voices now talking about this and, you know, none more so than women themselves. Uh, and it's great to see very high profile women who are publicly talking about things which, you know, are very personal and very embarrassing potentially, but they have the courage to, you know, to go public and really in- shine a light on the fact that something needs to be done. So, you know, you and I have talked about this a lot, you know, it would be absolutely fantastic to improve the treatment, the diagnosis and the treatment. 
of conditions like endometriosis, fibroids, polycystic ovary that are affecting huge proportions of young women, you know, reducing the debilitating symptoms they get and reducing the infertility that often arises. And this is very, very important work. Um, so, you know, but it's good to see that there is increasing focus on this and there are organizations and venture capital firms who are actually actively stating their interest in women's health. And for me, venture has always been a critical part of the funding cycle. You know, that venture um, has driven a lot of the recent approvals in the last decade through the FDA. So venture capital coming back into women's health, the way Forbian did when you stepped in in 2017, seeing that happen is a really good signal because they're going to feed uh, the, the ecosystem that will eventually result in new medications for these treatments. So Mary, you, you bring up several important points. And I think we also have an important kind of realization that we need to bring across to, you know, the regulators once we, you know, are going to further kind of explore the opportunity to develop new medication in these indications. Because also from a regulatory point of view, uh, the endpoints which are valid for, you know, approval of these in, in these indications are rarely, uh, are often still kind of related uh, to old fashioned thinking about these diseases. They're more um, focused on, for instance, in the case of PCOS, um, you know, increasing the rates of pregnancy in, instead of truly understanding the burden of the disease. In endometriosis, it's pretty much similar. Um, in fibroids, it's more straightforward because most of those are related to pain or, uh, or other symptoms. But I think there's also um, a, a path uh, that we need to flatten uh, in, in getting more acceptable regulatory endpoints uh, for, for these indications. Yeah, Jan, you mentioned endpoints, and that's absolutely a critical topic. And I know we've had many hours discussing endpoints, but it's, you know, it's fundamental for all therapy areas to be able to define an endpoint that the regulators will accept and that the payers will pay for that proves that the medicine works in, in the patient population. And that's been one of the issues with women's health because there's been so little development that in some conditions there is an the paucity or even you could say an absence of well-defined um, endpoints. So we know in the menopause that was good because there is a defined regulatory pathway, albeit rather old now and probably requiring updating, but nonetheless it exists. Whereas in polycystic ovary, there is no defined regulatory pathway to market. And that's got to be another reason that puts biotech companies off, pharma companies off, venture firms from funding. So you're right, defining endpoints, and the only way to do that is to do the studies, is critical in women's health. We had very recent, uh, very good news from Bayer. Uh, could you elaborate uh, on that? That was a press release that was sent out on uh, on on January the 8th. And that was great news. But I, I would love you to share that with our listeners. Yeah, it was great, Garrett Jan. And I think rather unexpected. We, we weren't anticipating that. Obviously, I can share what's already in the public domain. I know no more than that. Um, so I can share that Bayer announced, uh, you know, the first day of JP Morgan, that both of the phase two pivotals had uh, read out positively for all of the primary and the secondary endpoints. 
They didn't provide any data or, you know, any numbers, but they clearly made a statement that the pivotals were positive. And um, it's a momentous moment for biotech um, and for venture capital funding that we finally can come back with something that is of massive need a non-hormonal treatment for women. And, you know, Bayer also announced that they had launched and are prog- had started and are progressing well with a study in women who have had breast cancer and are not candidates for hormone treatment. So it even extending the potential for, for that candy drug to be used in women who otherwise would have no medical options. So, you know, we, we were there in, in San Francisco when Bayer announced the news. Um, it was surprising for us. It was earlier than we thought, but I think we're all thrilled. And we just have our fingers crossed that everything goes well for Bayer, the company, as they progress and make the filing and that the FDA accept the file and approve it and, and make it available to women. So we're all watching um, this space. But yeah, terrific. It's a terrific news. Yeah, that was a great start of the the annual JP Morgan Healthcare Conference Week, uh, definitely, Mary. And I think it's important to stress again that after decades, really decades, uh, this is the you know the first time a novel non hormonal treatment uh, will be hopefully soon introduced uh, to the market um, for for you know the treatment of uh, in in women's health. And uh, I think that is uh, a completely new class of drug that can have broader applications uh, as well. Back to you know the days when we we started to look at um, um, at your company. Um, can you share some some thoughts on uh, and perspective on on in those days what it was to fundraise you know as a CEO uh, for a specific company uh, in the women's health space? Oh yes, <laughs> it was painful <laughs> and not very productive. So I think you recall Gert Jan um, uh, when Mike and I, Mike Trower was the other co-founder. When we started raising money for the Series B, or it was then Neri Therapeutics actually had the candy drug. Uh, you know, I spoke. We spoke to maybe forty VCs across Europe and the US, um, and there was very little interest. Um, there were lots of excuses. Uh, there's no unmet need in brackets, really. Uh, there's no market in brackets, really. <laughs> Um, but, you know, and and the other really important thing for VCs at the time was they couldn't see where the exit would come from. So there were no acquirers. So basically, it was a very difficult um, raise. Uh, you know, we went for months and months without really getting a bite. And it was only when we made the strategic decision to switch gears and actually lead on another drug, lead on our chronic cough nary drug, that we started to get bites. But of course... Um, Yourself, Forbion, Advent, Feinton and Orbimed, you know, were in the pioneer group who really got, you know, the importance of um, the menopause drug. And I think I still have that email that you sent to a colleague of yours when we were trying to bring a chair on and you'd written, you know, our lead compounds in chronic cough, but actually the jewel in the crown is the menopause drug. So how right you were. But of course, Neri hopes that the chronic cough is also going to be productive. Um, so yeah, it was very difficult. But you know, to be fair to venture and to industry, I think the they had been bitten and burned um, by the HRT story, the hormone replacement therapy story. Because I think those who are in the field know that in 2002, there was a publication by the Women's Health Initiative that basically said HRT was associated with increased risk 
of cancer and cardiovascular diseases. And overnight, the HRT market um, plummeted and it never recovered. And I think what we're seeing now is a slow recovery from that scare that rippled the whole way through the industry and the medical community and through women. And, you know, there's still a large mistrust of HRT, which is not always um, merited. So uh, there, there was a reason why venture was feeling the way they are. I mean, one of one of the byproducts of the candy deal, I hope, will be that this is an example of how women's health can, you know, that we can find treatments that are really meeting unmet need, that really fill a gap in the market, that treat millions of women um, in the Western world and globally, and and can be financially lucrative for the companies, for investors, and importantly for women who can get their lives back. So I, I hope that the climate has changed and I'm hoping that the candy deal play some part in that. And I'm sure uh, in the next few years, uh, we'll look back and, and say that it, it did in fact do that. So I think t- it, things were bad, but they're getting a lot better. I think this combined with that there is a, at the moment, a big increase in the understanding about specific diseases, women might have different symptoms, um, you know, the you know, clinical trials, um, you know, represent more the kind of the male part of uh, of specific diseases compared to the female part. Uh, so there is there is a lot of awareness in combination with the success um, uh, that we've recently seen in our phase three studies on the on the old candy compound. Um, do you think that the environment for women's health and and you know new entrepreneurs uh, or VCs in in investing in this space has changed uh, recently? I definitely think it has. I mean, I, I'm seeing, uh, you know, we're seeing announcements of new companies being funded, you know, some women health company going to IPO. Uh, you know, we're seeing VCs announcing, um, you know, that they're hiring chairs for a startup in women's health. I personally get approached for a lot of things. You know, we see the BII, the Bio Innovation Institute, um, who have a specific focus on women's health as part of their fundraising. So I think there is a, there's an, and of course, you know, firms like yourself, Gerchan, who have always been and remain, um, you know, interested and in receiving all proposals in women's health. So, you know, I definitely think there is a groundswell and, you know, a recognition that this is an area where because of that the unmet need, it it's a space where venture should play and pharma also will play if the compound and the data really um shows benefit for women. So I feel very encouraged by, you know, the momentum that we see for sure. Well, for for all the listeners of the you know, biotech polls, um, you know, you will see Forbion uh, remaining to have an interest in the women's health space and uh, definitely We'll see us coming back in in this field, uh, and and we always have a final question uh, for our uh, guests, uh, Mary, and it's related to a specific advice that you have received or um, um, a wish that you received, um, and I want to tweak that question a little bit today uh, and make it more specific uh, that you could share with uh, specifically female leaders um, as you, as they're thinking about you know building or starting their companies. I definitely have one of those. And this is this is something that was said to me when I was training to be a sales rep. Um, and the sales trainer said, no, today 
doesn't mean no tomorrow. Uh, so when you go out there as a sales rep or as a CEO raising financing, you will get a lot of no's. Um, and actually, the majority of the responses will be no. But that doesn't mean it's going to be no tomorrow. And I think the point is that every time I get a no, uh, I want to know why are you saying no? What is about this proposition that you don't like? Help me understand how I can make it better. And I will make it better. And I'll come back to you with a better proposition. So I think it's just about that concept of being resilient, not taking no for an answer, listening to what people really think and really believe, uncovering their concern and resolving it. So that's been a very useful mantra for me. One, to keep going and two, to really understand exactly why somebody is saying no when they say it. So that, that's been a bit of a guiding saying for me. Okay, that was very insightful. Uh, thank you very much, Mary, for joining us today on the Biotech Pulse. Um, as always, it's been very insightful and um, inspiring uh, to talk to you about what you have mentioned uh, for Forbion in uh, being the CEO of uh, two of our portfolio companies um, and, and part of our success and a great inspiration to uh, all of the employees at Forbion and a, a lightning example of successful women in, in our business. Uh, so for all listeners, I've hoped that you enjoyed listening to the Biotech Pulse today, uh, specifically discussing women's health and women in science with my special guest, Mary Kerr, CEO currently of Nary Therapeutics. And don't forget to follow the Biotech Pulse whenever uh, you get your podcast. Uh, we are available on all platforms. And remember that you can also access this podcast directly on the Forbian website. Thank you for listening. And uh, we're waiting for you for the next episode. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Biotech Pulse, a Forbian podcast. To subscribe and share or to find out more about the Biotech Pulse, visit our website, forbian.com.